Great. Can you hear me? Yes. You sure? Yes. Good. Hi, everybody. Good to see everyone. Did you all have a good half term? Those that had one? Yeah, yeah. Everybody, like like um, Dan said, everybody's exhausted after half term. Can you? I don't get it, but hey. Um, anybody got young children here? Put your hand up. Yeah. And if you've been on a journey with them, what's their favourite question? Yeah, are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet, Mummy? And that's just as you pull out the driveway, isn't it? So <coughs> I've just really think, been thinking about the whole theme of waiting. Anybody been waiting for stuff? Yeah, a few people. I thought, you know, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to work that out. You know, Abraham, just a few Old Testament examples of waiting. Abraham was 75 when he left Haran. Um, so he was on a journey of faith. So no saga holiday for him. So he went out from Haran to Canaan, and he was promised a son and heir, and it took 25 years. He was 100. Can you imagine that? When he had a son, his wife was a mere 90 years old. Sounds pretty awful, really. Um, Joseph, 17 years old. He was a great dreamer, wasn't he? He had these fantastic dreams about the future. But he was rejected by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery. But then God prospered him. God was with him. And um, he, he worked for Potiphar's household. But then... Potiphar's wife took a bit of a, she thought he's a bit of all right, and she went, sorry, that was a bit off. Um, <laughs> she really went for him in a big way and then falsely accused him of rape. He did the right thing, he ran away. So he was imprisoned, but even while he was in prison, God prospered him. And I think that's an incredible thing about, you know, in the waiting process, that God was with him, and prospered him. And then, f then in the end, a couple of guys turned up that had fallen out of favour, and that was the butler and the baker, not the candlestick maker. And the butler was restored to favour, but the, the baker, unfortunately, wasn't. And Joseph had these dreams, which came true. And um, so what happened there was... Joseph said to the butler, can you please remember me? Will you remember me? And two whole years passed. And suddenly there is the butler who's restored into favour again. And, um, but Pharaoh himself has a dream, has two dreams. He doesn't know what they mean. And he's, he's trying to ask all his wise men, what do these dreams mean? What do they mean? And finally, after two years in prison, the butler, oh, yeah, there was that Hebrew slave. He's in prison. He can interpret dreams. Immediately, Joseph goes from the pit into the palace, and he's restored. Not only restored, he's given this top job. But it wasn't for another, I think, round about nine years until he met his brothers again. And so when they actually came before him, and I won't go through the long story, but they went before him 
and um, they prostrated themselves before him because of all the events which fulfilled his dream of the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to him. And it happened exactly as he saw it, but it took 22 years of waiting. If you want to leave now, you can do. <laughs> now, Habakkuk was an Old Testament prophet. He didn't find waiting easy. I've actually... Is it better if I hold this, do you think? Is it all right? Okay. Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet. He didn't find waiting easy. And I've, as I've had a look at him, I think he's fantastic. I think he's the most amazing prophet. His name comes from a verb that means he that embraces or ardent embrace or he who clings. It can also mean a wrestler. Um, so for somebody that is probably defined by his name, he embraced God ardently. He wrestled with tough questions. And the book of Habakkuk, if you're I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but he's living in very violent times. The Assyrians have already carted off the northern kingdom and, ba and Babylon has not yet come. But the southern kingdom, guess what? They haven't learned any lessons from their northern brothers. They're disobeying God's law. They have good King Josiah, brief time, but then they go back to their violence. And Habakkuk, is very distressed about this. So if you, I don't know if we could have uh, on the screen Habakkuk 1, verse 2 to 3. Poor Bess is doing a sterling job back there because I gave her these scriptures and they're all from different versions. But it starts off, How long, O Lord? Anybody said that in your prayer? How long, God? How long? How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Does that remind you of anything like today? We have strife. We have violence. We have injustice. We have destruction. There's not a lot of difference. Have any of you ever said to the Lord, why are you tolerating all this stuff? Why are we living in a society where there's sex trafficking and um, violence and senseless murders? Why? But what about in our own lives? Has anybody shouted out, oh, God, how long, Lord, how long? And I wonder what you've been waiting for. And as I speak today, maybe you can ask the Lord and think about that. What are you waiting for? The salvation of a loved one? Are you waiting for a son or a daughter to come back to God? Are you waiting for a business to get off the ground? Are you waiting for a house to sell? <laughs> are you waiting for healing? Maybe all of the above. Maybe you felt God promise you something. A dream that you've got, a prophetic word. And you get desperate at times. I've got a few things that have on, on my heart, in my life, I've been praying for and have prayed now for years and years and years. I haven't seen them happen yet. Things that I've prayed for for healing. But if it hadn't been for God's care and the NHS, I don't know where I'd be today, you know. And I think that some of you could say the same. Thank, you've got to thank God for what works. 
very often we focus on all the bits of our bodies that don't work. Let's focus on what does work, especially when you get, get older. Everyone over whatever said amen. Um, <coughs> fill in the blank. Uh, but we continue to look to God. I always remember a pastor that said to me, always be a candidate for healing. And that's what I'd say to you. Always, always be a candidate for healing. Keep communicating to God. A year or so ago, I went to an encounter session on prayer. Uh, some, a guy that you know, so I'm not going <laughs> to say who it was. But he was very good. Um, and at the end of it, he said, right, I'm going to prophesy over all of you. There were four of us in the room. I thought, well, you know, this is, stands a chance of being quite good. So he went through the first three before he came to me. First student, oh, I can see that you've got a wonderful teaching gift. You're going to, you know, speak to thousands and all this. Second student, you've got a writing gift. I'm seeing you've got it's going to communicate through your writing. Third person, I can't remember, but it was something amazing. Fourth person, and I'm thinking, what's left? Profit to the nations or, you know, <laughs> what is it? And he said, he came to me and he said, Ah, Debbie, you're saying, how long, oh Lord, how long? That was the prophecy. I'm thinking, great, <laughs> thanks. But actually, the point of it was, God knew my address. God knows our address. He knows that we're waiting. He knows where we're at. And actually, he was spot on. So it proved to me that God knew exactly where I was. Still waiting, but hey. <clears throat> I'd like to, to go to the Lord answers Habakkuk. And this is uh, chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. Andrew, come and sit down, man. Don't stand at the back. Um, right, the Lord answers Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people, and so on. So Habakkuk has asked a question, how long, oh God, why aren't you doing something about Judah? And then... Habakkuk, and then God says, well, I am going to do something about Judah. I'm going to send Babylon. <laughs> and Habakkuk's probably thinking, I wish I hadn't asked. Um, God is going to deal with Judah's sin. But the weird thing is, he's going to raise up a far worse enemy to deal with Judah's sin in order to bring that um, dealing. You know, I, it's almost like you can imagine... Habakkuk saying, God, you can't be serious. Habakkuk 1, 12 to 13 says this, O Lord my God, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. Go down to verse 17. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? Habakkuk is asking, why on earth would you choose to discipline your children, your own 
disobedient children through the barbaric cruelty of the Babylonians. But that was God's reply. That was God's answer. And sometimes we ask the question, but we don't like the answer. But what I want to bring out of this is the fact that God doesn't censure him in any way. God doesn't say, excuse me, have a cup. Who do you think you are asking me questions? You know, I'm God. He doesn't say that at all. He answers Habakkuk's questions. Remember, Habakkuk is the wrestler. He's the one that clings. He's the one that embraces God. He's not being cheeky. And I love that. He ardently loves God, and he wants to have this dialogue. And I think that God can handle how long and why. You know, and I've heard some people say, oh, don't ever ask God why questions. And I think, well, why not? (laughs) Um, Because if you read what Jesus said on the cross, and of course it was Jesus, and of course it was the cross, and I'm not trivializing that, but Jesus says at one point, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said, my God, not my father, my God. He's speaking to God because he's, it's almost like he's us saying, why have you forsaken me? And I think God can handle it. And I actually think that we need to wrestle with these things. We need to ask questions because we have a relationship, don't we? We have a relationship with God, don't we? Please speak to me. Otherwise, I think you're all going into a half-term blur. (laughs) Sorry, it's work tomorrow, folks. That will wake you up. Um, Because it's a relationship. It's a relationship. You know, if if you have a close relationship with someone or a, a close friendship, you should be able to ask tough questions. I've got a few people in my life that can ask tough questions. I think we have to have those people. If you haven't got those people, please get them because you need someone that is, you're accountable to. It could, could be a leader, that's great, but I think we need friends. You need someone to come along to you and say, um, privately, not on, on a loudspeaker, walking through Enfield, I don't mean that, but someone that's going to speak to you and say, hey, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and you think, yeah, you know, you can get hurt, but hey. But, and, and you do that with them. We need accountability. We're not loose cannons. We're part of a body. We're part of relating to Jesus. So what does Habakkuk do? Is everybody okay? You follow me? Is this all right? Okay. So he climbs onto his watchtower. Those of a certain age, it, this is not a cue for a Jimi Hendrix song. Um, it's all right, watchtower. Never mind. Um <laughs> Gosh, there you go. Number four, Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. I love that. It's like Habakkuk saying, okay, I've said all this to God. I'm going to stand. I'm going to see what he's going to say. And he's a bold man. He's open to God. And the Lord speaks. And he says this, uh, chapter 2, verse 2 to 4. Very famous scripture. 
write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. In other words, those visions, if God's spoken it, if God's spoken into your life, it's going to happen. I mean, if God's God's God, and if he said it, it's going to happen, isn't it? Yes, Deb, it's going to (laughs) happen. It will surely come. It will not tarry. And obviously, he's speaking the context is, is he's saying the Babylonians are going to come. Sorry, sunshine, but this is what's going to happen because it will surely come. And then verse 4, really intriguing. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. He's talking about the Babylonians. They're proud people. But the just shall live by his faith. And I love that. Habakkuk is given a task to write the vision, to make it plain and clear to the people. He's told the vision is not for now. He's told to wait for it. Then God says, the just shall live by faith. Now, you may have a version that says the righteous shall live by their faithfulness to God. We live by faith and demonstrate that faith by our faithfulness to God. It's two things, isn't it? We have faith, but we're faithful. We need to be full of faith and faithful in our walk with God. So there's all this sort of dialogue going on, and then suddenly there's an incredible change in chapter 3. And this prayer, um, this Habakkuk 3, is actually a prayer that is sung by the prophet. He's singing. And it says, um, thanks Beth, it's chapter 3, 1 to 2. This is in the New Living. This prayer was sung by the prophet, prophet Habakkuk. I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember mercy. I think we could, we could say that right now as a prayer. You know, we're filled with awe and it's a time of deep need. You may have a, be sitting there in a time of deep need, personally. As a nation, I think we're in deep need. But we need to pray, in your wrath, in your anger, remember mercy. That's a prayer for revival, isn't it? In this time, help us again. Do it again, Lord. This is a changed Habakkuk. The situation hasn't changed. The Babylonians are still coming. The siege is going to come. But his focus has changed. He's looking up to God and he is filled with awe. He's caught a vision of God. And a few months ago, I, I was listening to a speaker who described this era that we're living in now as one of awe deprivation, that we're deprived of awe by focusing downwards and inwards we fail to notice the awesomeness of creation and many have lost their awareness of God. His prayer 
shows his new understanding that God will deliver his people. Now, Habakkuk wrote this, verse 12 and 13. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. You know, what he's saying is God is going to deliver his people. For Habakkuk, in verse 16, it's all too much. I mean, if you haven't, has anybody had an encounter with God? If you've ever felt the presence of God, it has a. Has anybody really been touched by God to the point where you, you're just shaking or your heart's pounding? This is what's happening to him. It says, verse 16, he describes his fear. His body is trembling. His heart's pounding. His lips are quivering. They're real responses. But then verse 16, he says this, Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Let that sink in. So Habakkuk is looking beyond the Babylonians decimating the country. He's looking beyond to the time when God deals with the Babylonians. And that's the thing. So I'm gonna, we're just going to look at, um, coming towards the end here, the final few verses we've heard sung in choruses. Um, they, these were kind of very jolly little ditties that, you know, people pranced around with. And I kind of think it's much more meaningful when we realise what the meaning is. Um, he's talking about pu- future events. It's terrifying, but it's the just living by faith. Now, the Babylonians had what is called a scorched earth policy. In other words, they killed everybody, men, women, children. They had no mercy, but they also killed the animals and they also destroyed the crops. They destroyed everything. So there was nothing for this rural economy to survive in. So that is why Habakkuk writes this. Though the fig tree does not bud, remember he's thinking about something that's going to happen, not has happened, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, everything's gone, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. It's easy for me to say that and I know there are times when it's, it's very difficult to rejoice But that's our only hope, is to look up and rejoice in him. This is life, um, the way it is. There's nothing left. So Habakkuk starts with questions and a complaint to God, but he ends with a song. One writer wrote, Habakkuk is the prophet who sang in the night. And he's got a deep understanding of the Lord. He's, he's got a revelation of him through this process. He's closer to him than ever. And I can imagine him either singing this with the tears rolling down his cheeks. These things are going to happen, God, but I will rejoice in you. Or he's marching around like a warrior, 
singing this. This is going to happen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And he ends with this. I just think he's a fantastic character that is passionate about God, that has all these questions, that wrestles with these issues, but he's an overcomer. He ends with this, chapter 3, verse 19. Thanks. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. In other words, he makes me an overcomer. I've known the depths, but he's lifted me up. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So, we're waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for, in a sense, we'll always be waiting. We're always going to be waiting for thousands of years. The Jews waited their Messiah. Just before the ascension, Jesus told his disciples what? To wait for what? The Holy Spirit to come. But then the Holy Spirit came and the church burst into life. And the New Testament writers encouraged them to wait again. What are they waiting for now? What are we waiting for now? All the way down through the centuries, you know, down through the early church, down through the darkest parts of the Middle Ages, down through the Reformation, down through Wesley and Wycliffe, down through the great revivals, and now waiting for Jesus' return. We're waiting for Jesus' return. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Paul says the Thess- Thessalonians to wait for his son from heaven. I, I kind of think, do we, are we excited about it? Are we excited about it? Danny's. We need to be excited about the fact that Jesus is actually coming back. But we don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know when. Um, could lead into a song, but I won't. Um, but we know he's going to come again. We know he is. One writer wrote that waiting should almost be a spiritual discipline because it's so easy now to get what you want when you want it, isn't it? You can go, I want a book, right, one hour's time, it's there. I mean, I'm not on Amazon Prime, sorry, but there you go. Um, I'm trying to wait. Um, Waiting does something in us. Waiting's an opportunity. But waiting can be a kind of a death as well. As far as our relationship with God is concerned, we're not called to be passive. We're called to be actively waiting, to have a hopeful expectation you know i'm not talking about dropping our common sense um if there's a medical emergency i wouldn't say that was a good time to wait on the lord i'd say pray and phone 999 um sometimes you just gotta you can't wait so you know what i'm saying and a few years ago i was out with with a friend of mine and we were going to have a coffee we didn't know each other that well And I was starting to go hypo because of being diabetic, low blood sugar. And I I said, actually, I need something now. And she said, sure, yeah, we'll look for somewhere. I said, no, I need something now. It was kind of Dr. Jekyll and Miss Hyde, really. 
and uh, like an incredible Hulk, and I sort of went green and very demanding. She said, okay, okay, I'm going to find somewhere. You know, uh, the thing is, if you need something, you need it now, of course. And there are other situations which we couldn't name, you know, where you've got to escape uh, out of an abusive situation, for example. But then waiting also can be a cop-out and waiting for a job. You know, you spend three weeks on your sofa waiting for a job. What, what do you think is going to happen? A job's going to sort of fall through your ceiling. It's not going to happen. So there are things... I'm talking about active waiting. A 17th century pastor compared waiting on the Lord to sailors at sea who were far from land and beset with storms, yet were, were sustained in hope by the glimpse of land. It's hopeful expectation. We need hopeful expectation. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 5, verse 3. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. You know, we need to uh, focus on the Lord. Have you heard of this current obsession of doom scrolling? Anybody heard of doom scrolling? Well, it's something to avoid like the plague. Basically, it's the activity of spending a lot of time looking at your phone or going online and reading bad news stories, negative news stories. That's doom scrolling. And People have really got into it. It's quite shocking, actually. Um, and experts warn, it's always good to know what experts say, that it could be harmful for your mental health. There you go. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Wouldn't you want to be an expert? So somebody said, doom scrolling for two hours every night won't stop the apocalypse. And that's true, isn't it? But the trouble is, we can doom scroll through our lives. That's sin, the other sin. And we're going through this doom. But Jesus has he's taken all that away. He's giving us a new thing, a new day. We, we need to forget the past. A couple of weeks ago, um, I read a true story about, a, I don't know whether you saw this, it was a 13-year-old schoolboy in the States and he was on a bus, and the driver passed out at the wheel. And um, the, the schoolboy steered the bus to safety, saving the lives of all these people. He didn't have a phone. Everybody else on the bus had a phone. I'm not making any comment, okay? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want any emails from parents, please. Um, but, you know... It's, it was interesting. He was not online. He was offline. He was aware of what was happening around him. And we need to be constantly connected, constantly available, and we can miss stuff. So I'm just going to end with this. Um, I, know, I know everybody always says that, and they've got two more hours, uh, but I haven't. Um, on the how do we connect with God? How do we stay connected with God? On their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus gave the disciples an illustration of how he wanted his disciples to relate to him. Dan, will you read the scripture for me? 
It's John 15, verse 1 to 5. From there, we'll go. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So to abide in him means to stay, to remain, to dwell, and it can also mean to wait. Are we abiding? We need to abide in these days. And in verse 4, abide in me and I in you, it's a continuous tense. It's a person who is permanently and continuously abiding in Christ. I'm not there. I want to be there. I want to have that. There's a sense of this interpersonal relationship, a shared space, an intimacy, but it's continuous. And we can have this thing of, oh, you know, I had a wonderful time with the Lord, da, 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 and that's great. But is it continuous? Is, are we walking with him every day? Is he our friend? That's what I want. A branch is attached to the vine. Its life source is the vine. It can't live without it. Can we live without Jesus? So, how long, O oh Lord, how long? I don't know. We don't know. But in the meantime, I suggest that we learn how Habakkuk did to ardently embrace God, to ask the difficult questions, to wrestle, you know, to pour out your heart to God and cling to him and make sure you don't get severed from the, the vine. That's all I've got to say, and I, I, I don't really know what to do now, but maybe we could just just, uh, just sit quietly before the Lord just for a couple of minutes or just for a minute and maybe just ask the Lord what he wants to say to you. Is that all right? Yeah. The band are going to play in a moment and I'd just like to encourage you that if there's anything that you would like some prayer for, there's people here. I'm going to hand back to Dan in a moment, but there's people here that would love to stand with, with you. Maybe nothing to do at all with what we've talked about, but there's just something you need prayer for. Maybe you're battling something that just seems to be going on forever. But, but God wants to minister and... Um, so, yeah, over to both.